Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, welcome everybody. My guest today is John Slade, a senior consultant at All Four. You'll be hearing from John as a guest routinely, and when you hear about John's experience, you will see why. John is quickly approaching 50 years in the air quality regulatory and consulting arena. He spent several decades with the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection and spent 13 of those years leading DEP's Bureau of Air Quality before joining All Four in 2007. So when you're hearing from John, I can assure you that you're hearing from a lot of experience and a number of different perspectives that he's able to bring, which I think is going to help a lot with today's topic, which is environmental justice policy. So before we get into the meat of this, John, anything else that folks should hear about you in the way of introduction? Uh, No, I think you've covered it pretty well. Yeah. All right, perfect. So today we're going to talk about environmental justice policy, as I mentioned And environmental justice as a concept is something that all of us are going to be hearing more about over time. This is something that we talked about relative to EPA administration as well, in terms of what the EPA administration looks like can influence the pace at which we hear about and interact with environmental justice policy. So it's a timely topic for where we are right now and something I think you're going to be hearing a lot more of. So enough in the way of intros, let's get right into it. So, John, I'm going to start out and just ask you to walk us through the concept of environmental justice policy as it relates to environmental permitting. So what does environmental justice mean in this context? Right. So environmental justice actually goes back, I'd say, as far as the the Federal Clean Air Act. So its inception The concepts behind it really go back to what's called the National Environmental Policy Act, which was enacted in 1970, just actually a little bit ahead of the revisions to the Federal Clean Air Act of 63. But so right around the same time, the real meat of the Federal Clean Air Act, which came in in 70, 71, both of these came out about the same time. And there really wasn't the term environmental justice in that policy at that time, but it really embraced the, the concepts. And since you said federal agencies doing any uh, projects that had an environmental impact needed to assess, you know, their impact on the environment and on communities and, and such. And the, the actual term environmental justice came in during the Clinton administration sometime in the 90s where it was an executive order where, where Clinton defined uh, environmental justice as a, as a piece of this assessment that needed to be done. And, and in, in those it sort of laid the groundwork that said that you needed to assess the impacts on communities and, um, and you needed to communicate with them, and, the, and this was communities of minorities, and, and later on they added the concept of low income, but, but race and ethnicity and origin. So it really has been around for quite a long time. And it, but as you said, Colin, uh, 
there's been an update to that uh, NEPA Act that just came out this year, and it's sort of delving more into the into exactly what it means, and it's it's challenging EPA to define better what it means to do an environmental justice assessment, and a lot of states are starting to follow suit with this, and because they've had their own environmental justice requirements. So, you know, I'd say about the federal government, you know, which is required by the revisions to the NEPA Act, and then other states, I think, are following suit on that. And in concept, I mean, it's a relatively simple concept and and laudable. You know, it, it recognizes that there are communities of people who are more impacted by pollution and, you know, and in the broad sense, it's, you know, air, water, and land. Uh, I'm going to talk from the perspective of air because that's really what, what I know about. And to a large degree, air, I think, has a bigger impact, uh, often often has a bigger impact, more far-reaching just because there's there's no bounds on air. <laughs> it, can, it can go, you know, miles and tens of miles and hundreds of miles. So it, its impact can, can reach out pretty far and reach to – you know, uh, environmental justice areas that are not not necessarily, you know, in the neighborhood of, of where the pollution is coming from. But in implementation, it's it's difficult, it's expensive, uh, and it can be delaying to, to projects, which I think was where the sort of the, the conflict and, and the rub comes in. And so it's important to, to try to define, you know, what is an environmental justice area? what analysis you need to do, what communication you need to do. And, and, and that's, that's difficult, you know, because you've got lawyers who are going to be litigating whether you decided not to do an impact analysis, whether you, you did one, you didn't do it right. Uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of consequences to, to implementation of this, you know, forgetting the the equity and everything on it. It, It's just, it's a difficult thing to do. And so you do need, uh, unfortunately, you need to pick and choose. You know, you've got to decide when you're going to spend all these resources to to do an environmental justice impact. So, uh, you know, it's a, like I said, it's a a great concept, but but it's one you've got to be judicious about in a good manner just because it's, it's so expensive and, and, and hard to implement properly. Yes, I'll, I'll put it that way. So, John, with the NEPA update that you mentioned and there being some push from a federal perspective to get more clarity, and we see some states doing that as well. And I was curious from, from your perspective and the time you spent at a state agency, I hear lots of different things from different state agencies about environmental justice policy. And if you had to say there was two sides to the coin, it seems like on one hand, certain agencies would say, well, we're going to keep this status quo, put some clarity around it and leave it at that. Whereas other agencies would say, no, we need to make a real push and expand and broaden what's in place now. What's the thought process going on? It's like everything else today, polarizing, but what's the different thought processes that are going on within those different agencies on the different sides of that coin? What's sort of the, what are the two sides of that coin that we might expect to hear from different agencies? Right. So I guess I'll start with saying, you know, the classic environmental justice assessment in the past has been where 
uh, a project is large enough, a, a, either a new facility or a major, what they call a major modification of an existing major facility, to the degree that you you trigger ambient air quality modeling in order to assess the national ambient air quality standards and, and possibly some air toxics. And so the, the the standard in the past has been, you know, when you're doing that modeling, if you look, if you have any environmental justice areas around you and, and the, I'd say most states have, have tried to identify those. I know in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania, you can actually go into the state maps and they and, and they'll tell you where where they've identified environmental justice areas and so you take your air quality modeling and you say i mean n- not only is this you're not just looking at where your major impact is but you're saying uh, is, does my modeling show that so because you, you're modeling emissions that haven't been released yet so so that's why you've got to do air quality modeling so you you know you pr- you try to project what the impact is and you say are any of the emissions from what's being proposed going to have a significant impact? Not not just you know go over the ambient air quality standards we exceed, but but are they going to have a significant impact in this area? And if they do, then you definitely you trigger additional communication with the community uh, because uh, number one, some you know they don't they may not may not get a newspaper. They may not have access to a, a, a computer to look up the electronic notices on it. So you've got to, you know, not only put more notices in more local newspapers, sometimes required to, to actually post uh, on bulletin boards and in libraries and places around. You try to communicate with the community and in different languages because, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's a, uh, a Chinese community or whatever and they don't all speak uh, English for, but they don't necessarily understand complex issues. And so you need to have translations uh, for, you know, for different languages for the communities that are identified and also opportunity for public meetings, or maybe you just schedule public meetings. So there's a, there's a lot more outreach and, you know, the, the intent is to, is to enhance the communication to the general public about what's going on, trying to explain to them what's going on and what the uh, impacts are and, and an assessment that, you know, what the, what the impact would be and to give them an opportunity to, to give some feedback. I mean, it can be as simple as there's going to be a lot more trucks coming down main street (laughs) you know, right past all of our, our homes, you know, and, and so has that specific part of this been assessed, you know, has there been a, has there been an assessment of that particular aspect of it? So, you know, you're, you're looking for feedback from, uh, from the community because there is going to be additional impact. So that has been the traditional analysis. What is being discussed now is, does that need to be enhanced? So that's really just looking at what the impact is. But do you need to further assess a cumulative impact? Do you need to look at other projects that have occurred in the area, not necessarily at that facility? Do you need to look at specific 
pollutants that are maybe beyond the national ambient air quality standard pollutants, some toxic pollutants. And the, the newest concept that's being, being brought out is to, to look at trends, you know, to, to better identify how the uh, environmental impact in this area, other than this project, uh, you know, other projects that are, that are known that are going to occur or, or that are believed that may be occurring additional changes, uh, other industries that are coming in, other housing projects that, that are, that are coming, maybe a shopping mall or something, you know, the trends, trends analysis, you know, in keeping with the fact that, that most agencies or all the agencies have to do what's called a 10 year analysis. They have to look at, uh, what the ambient air quality is now, and if it's not achieving an ambient air quality standard, what you're going to do over the next two, three, five, ten years to bring it down to achieve the standard, or if you are achieving the standard, what are the things that are going to happen that are going to degradate the ambient air quality standard in the area? So they're also talking about you know looking at this impact with other projected impacts in the future. That I think that's the the newest one of the newest pieces that have been has been added to environmental justice. So it's as I said, it, you know, the concept is very good. Implementation is can be very difficult, and that translates into additional time, additional resources for the state agencies, for the federal government. You know, in addition to you know the company's permit applications, and then. And then delays, you know, delays because of this additional outreach and analysis and communication of it. So there, you know, once again, you get back to, is there good data existing to help do all those additional analysis? You know, is, does the state or the local area have a good planning project so you can actually identify what other things are going to be occurring uh, in the future? So there's sometimes there's a gaps analysis where, you know, data is not available that would, you know, would be necessary to really do a complete analysis as it's been envisioned. So, you know, once again, it's going to be important to say, you know, where is that, where is that bright line when, when we trigger to do an EJ analysis and when, and when it's just not, it's not worth the resources that, that are going to be spent on it. Yeah, and that bright line seems to be maybe blurring a bit with some of the new legislation that's out there where it, it seems to broaden out the triggering events. I believe New Jersey is one of those that broadens out the triggering events for when environmental justice would be considered. But before we get into some of that, so John, you mentioned generally how the policy influences what a facility needs to do in advance of a major project or a project that triggers these requirements. So we'll see what a triggering project looks like, how that might evolve over time. You talked a little bit about what it is, but I'm at a facility. I've got a big project coming up. Generally speaking, what's that bulleted list of what's required and when do I need to typically start thinking about that with, you know, within my capital planning process? Right. So, I mean, obviously, if the project is going to trip what's called prevention of significant deterioration or PSD permitting where you have to do air quality modeling, I mean, you absolutely need to look at, you know, whether this could be a, an, 
EJ triggering event. And, you know, that, that is, that's something that, uh, you know, should be identifiable with, uh, with the permitting agency, the state or local, local agency. But, you know, as you said, now that things are, are broadening out, there's always the opportunity for the public to request public meetings for projects, even, even the simplest, almost even minor permits are noticed, even if they don't go through an EJ enhanced noticing. So there could be opportunities for the community to, to request a, a public hearing. So even if you're not going to be triggering a major modification that requires air quality modeling, you know, companies ought to look at, should I do some air quality modeling? If questions come up on that, you know, often if you do some modeling, you're better prepared to put to rest. You know, here, here's the impact. We did air quality modeling, even though we weren't required to do it. Here's the impact in, in the area. And you can, hopefully you've got good data on what, or representative data on what the ambient air quality existing is in the area. Sometimes, sometimes that can be a challenge because you're, you're not necessarily all that close to the local monitor and there's there's not an ambient air quality monitor on every every street corner or or every uh, rural city in a in a state so so sometimes you're pro- you're projecting what that air quality is from the from the you know the closest available information but but I think it's important important for for companies to at least do some assessment of what uh, what impact this project could have because I think you could be you could be called upon to do that analysis and and that's going to slow you up. You know, if you've, if you've not done that, then there could be a lot of legwork to be done to gather that data and be able to answer. Whereas if you sort of have it available or relatively uh, available, you know, you can, you can answer some of those, some of those questions and, and maybe show the agency that there's, there's not a need for an, uh, an EJ assessment. Yeah, that makes sense, John. And I, want to just mention, you had mentioned earlier that the state agencies, a number of them have a list of EJ areas where certain types of projects may need to be considered. EPA has their EJ screen tool that they use to inform policy and things that they put together. So if you're wondering, okay, do I have EJ issues? One, the state agency is a good resource for that. But two, that EJ screen tool could give you maybe a quick preliminary answer about yep. what areas might have BJ concerns. And that way the gears can start turning. And I, I think the, the big point you're making here, John, is don't get to the point where the agency is coming back and saying, hey, now we need to trigger a public notice and public meeting process. And then all of a sudden be in a position where we've got to produce some of this additional information. And you're already far down the road of the project. And it, it should be part of planning just like air quality modeling and all those other things are. So, right, and and I guess I'd say one of the you know if if you know you've got a big project that's coming that possibly could could trigger modeling or or that you might want to do modeling for, you know, something to sort of back up even two or three years before your project if you've got that sort of forward uh, planning would be you may want to collect what's called on-site meteorological data. Because if you've got to do modeling, it's a lot better to have localized data. You can, there's a lot more bells and switches on the modeling. You can get 
more accurate modeling, perform more accurate modeling. So, you know, something to think about as a company is, you know, is there good meteorological data, recently collected meteorological data available in my area? And if not, do I, you know, do I want to put a Met Tower up and collect that data so that I've got it? And it's more than Met Tower. They've got things called SODAR, which use sound waves to to get upper air wind uh, wind information for for doing sophisticated air quality modeling. So, you know, I think it's important to to think about about whether you have everything to do that modeling, and that may begin with collecting meteorological data that's that's closer to your facility, or at or very close to your facility. Good point from a planning perspective, John. So we've got a lot more to cover, which we are going to cover next time. So just wanted to say thanks, everybody, for listening in. Next time, we're going to cover a little bit more about where this policy is going in general, talk some more about what facilities can do proactively within their communities, and talk about the practicality or lack of, in some cases, of state agencies actually implementing some of these policies. So thanks, everybody, for joining You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.